0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central.
1: Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 13th, 2022. It is currently 7.50 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I hope you're having a wonderful evening. If you are listening to me live, if, you, if you're not listening to me live, I hope you're having a wonderful whatever day, whatever time it may be. But if you are listening to us live, I hope you're ready this evening for a little Bible study. All right. Does that sound like a good idea to you? I, I think it does, because if you are aware, we're still involved in our ongoing Bible study exercise of the book of Amos We're using what we call the comprehensive book Bible study method. We've done the book background. We've done the book survey. Right now, we're kind of in the chapter analysis method of Bible study. I've given you some home, uh, some assignments and I mean, well, you've get, been given the Bible study method, so you have your assignments there. We've done a little bit of work in in chapter one, I gave you some things to consider, talked about outlining. What in the world do we do with verse two? Um, and, and just, uh, just a, a number of things we've been discussing and talking about, and hopefully you have been involved and working on it. And hopefully you've spent a lot of time in Amos. You've been reading it, just all the different things. And I hope that you are benefiting from it. I I don't want the Bible study exercise to ever turn into like some legalistic thing and some just assignment to be completed, uh, but a study to be benefited from. And hopefully that is occurring. But it's Tuesday evening. I'm up here in my studio. I've got notebooks, bibles, I've got stuff scattered all over the place and I thought, you know what? Let's have a little fun this evening. Let's let's take a very well-known resource. Let's use that resource to add to our study of the book of Amos. Now the the resource we're going to be using is J Vernon McGee because the, his ministry has given me permission to use his content. So we do have his permission. But we're going to use it not in the typical way. I mean, I could just turn on the microphone, introduce it, and hit play, and just walk away and come back in 54 minutes and 8 seconds. And you could just listen to Jay Vernon McGee, but we're not going to do that. We're going to use his study of Amos, but we're just going to kind of... We're just going to walk through it with him. I'll be interrupting. I'll be adding different thoughts. And we're going to just work through chapter one tonight. That's what we're going to do. We're going to use J. Vernon McGee to work through chapter one because everyone should be working on chapter one and our chapter analysis method. So I hope everyone is, and hopefully this will add to it. Maybe it will reinforce. Maybe it will just help you along. Whatever. I don't know. Hopefully we will accomplish something and doing this this evening, well, you know what? We, we're obviously going to accomplish something, because we're going to spend some time in God's Word. So obviously, we're going to accomplish something because God's Word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good, to every good work. That that is so. So we know there's going to be something beneficial that comes from it, and hopefully, we can just have a little fun. So, if you're listening live. Bible open, notebook open, pencil in hand. Please feel free to jump in at any point. At any point just go, "Wait a minute, I got a question. I got a question. I got a question right here. I got a question. I don't understand that." I may not have I may not have an answer, but we will work through it together or you may have a great observation. You may have a disagreement. J. Vernon McGee may have said something in his study of Amos and you're like, "Wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense." I may disagree. You may disagree with me. Let's just have a good time in the book of Amos. On this Tuesday, September the 13th, coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio, right here in Abilene, Texas. So wherever you may be, whenever you hear this, are you ready? Book of Amos open. All right. The words of Amos. That's how the book begins. Let's see what Jay Vernon McGee had to say in regards to it. And his, and if you if you're not familiar with Jay Vernon McGee, he had a program called Through the Bible, and they went through all the way from Genesis to Revelation every five years. Very interesting concept for a radio broadcast, very influential in the lives of many people. And a lot of people around the world went through the Bible every five years with Jay Vernon McGee. And I can't remember how many total times he went through in his ministry, but uh, what an awesome concept. I wanted to do something similar. I really did. Um... Went with our podcast for the VBC Bible Institute, but trying to do that and doing the Theology Central podcast, maybe if I was more disciplined, I don't know. Um, but uh, well, but but really, if you think about it, the theolo- the the VBC Bible Institute podcast really turned into the Bible study exercise. I kind of took what what I kind of some of the things I wanted to accomplish with the VBC Bible Institute. And I just transferred that over to the Bible study exercise and kind of reformatted it in a way that it's still like a Bible Institute. I give you assignments, I give you homework, we have curriculum. So it's still like a Bible Institute, but it, it's, we, we I, I, I think it's a good modification of the concept, at least I hope so. So um, I mean, again, we're always inviting anyone, come on, be a part of the Bible study exercise. Listen, participate. That's what we want. We want people who really care about studying the Bible. And remember, this is not a program where you're supposed to be just sitting there listening passively because in many cases, I turn on the microphone and teach like I know, like I don't know. What about this? What about that? Assignments and all the other things that makes it somewhat unique. And hopefully you have benefited from it. But here we go. The Book of Amos, J. Vernon McGee. We're going to utilize it. We're going to u- use it. I've got, a lo- I've got, I've got, I don't know how many pages of notes here. I've got here, I've got, uh, I don't even know how many pages. I've got a lot of pages on Amos chapter 1, okay? So, here we go.
0: Now, friends, as we come to the little prophecy of Amos, I think, first of all, that we ought to try to locate him in prophecy. We are going to find that he was born down in Judah, the southern kingdom, but he was the prophet in the northern kingdom. His message was delivered in Samaria at the king's chapel, as we shall see. And it's a most unusual message for a man to have come from such a country, out-of-the-way place, and he has a message of judgment against all the surrounding nations. And he had a global view of life and of God's program for the entire world, not only for the present then, but for the future. It makes this man a most remarkable prophet, as we shall see. He was contemporary with Jonah and with Hosea. They were prophets in the northern kingdom. He was also contemporary with Isaiah and Micah in the southern kingdom. And let me now read the first verse of the first chapter. Now, a lot of that we
1: uh, covered and talked about in our book background portion of the study. Hopefully you found a lot of that, who his contemporaries were in the northern kingdom, who his contemporaries were in the southern kingdom, that he's from the south. He's in Tekoa, and his uh, his message is – I I, I, think, I like the way he said that. Not always his message to the north. In a sense, his message was, well, to the nations because Amos starts off with judgment against the nations. I mean, if, if you, we talked about uh, what, you know, that you need to give the chapter a title, obviously, in your uh, chapter analysis. And uh, judgment on the nations would ob- obviously be a very appropriate title for your chapter. You can go with something different. Just remember, whatever title you give your chapter, it needs to capture the contents. And it's not so much an attempt to interpret it, but just to uh, observe what is there. And clearly, chapter one is about judgment upon a number of nations. All right. Let's continue.
0: The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now, this is the one that's labeled Jeroboam II, by the way, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, I want to approach this prophet a little bit different than we've approached any other prophet before. I want us to get acquainted with him personally, because to get acquainted with this man, to me, is to love him and to understand his prophecy better. Now, I want to turn to the seventh chapter and get a personal insight into this man and his ministry yonder in Samaria in the northern kingdom. I'm turning to chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, said to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary." and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos, and said to Amaziah, I'm no prophet, neither am I a prophet's son, but I'm an herdman, and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. And then you have the message. But this now brings the man before us. Now, I want us to look at him, and I have labeled him the country preacher who came to town. And you find, first of all, his birthplace, where he was raised, his hometown. Six miles south of Jerusalem, there is the familiar place, "...of little Bethlehem." The prophet had said, "...though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth." Bethlehem has become famous. But there was another little place that was six miles southeast of Bethlehem called Tekoa, and it is not so well known. In fact, Amos is not even mentioned Anywhere else in the Old Testament, there is a Amos in Mary's genealogy that's given in Luke, but no relation to this Amos at all. And the little town of Tekoa that he came from is practically an unknown place. It was a place where a prophetess came and gave David a message, and David was familiar with, with that area, because that is the area he'd gone in to hide from King Saul. And let me tell you, that's a real wilderness down there. The nation Israel today's is made along by the side of the Dead Sea a nice highway that leads to Masada, and then you can come back around through Arad and back down up through Hebron and through Bethlehem. But you don't get near to Koah because it is over in that wilderness. And I'm sure that most of you have never heard of it. And little wonder, it's no reflection at all. It's a ghost town today. And it never was, even in its heyday, more than a wide place in the road. It was a whistle stop. It was just a jumping-off place. It was a camping ground. It was really a country crossroads. And it was on the frontier. It's one of those places that we used to have in Texas where they said to get to the place you had to go as far as you can in a buggy and then get off and walk another couple of miles. Well, Tekoa was that kind of a place, 12 miles southeast of Jerusalem in that frightful wilderness, by the way. Tekoa is in that spot. And it's the birthplace of Amos. And the only claim that it ever had the greatness is the...
1: It's always interesting in Bible study, like, he's giving a lot of information about Toccoa. I'm not, in any way, am I not, I'm not diminishing it, because that's that's a very important thing to do in our background. But Just remember, this is always important in Bible study, we can get all the, gather all the information in the world about Toquah, but what we're looking for is what is there anything significant about Toquah to help us better understand the prophet or the book, right? So as uh, when you gather all this information about Takoa, perfectly okay to gather it, but as you're going through the book, as you as you as we read through the words of Amos, at any point if we're like, oh, okay the fact that he's from Tocoa that explains that right there. Oh, remember where Tocoa is located? That explains that right there. You want to gather the information not just so that you have you know all the interesting facts, nothing wrong with that, but the ultimate goal is what, what, is there anything significant about Takoa that helps me understand as I'm going through? So as you're going through, say chapter one or any other chapters in your chapter analysis, you want to just, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Now that makes sense because he's from Tacoa. Oh, wait, wait, that makes sense. He's from Tacoa. Does, does it ever come into play? If it doesn't, it's nothing wrong knowing all of that information about Tagoa, but that's the real information. The, the real goal of gaining knowledge is how does it better help me understand the text? How does it better help provide context and, and help me with interpretation? But it's perfectly okay to get, I mean, you got to gather all of this information so that you will know. I just want you to know you don't gather it just to know it. You gather it hoping In a sense, you're gathering that information to put in your toolbox. And then as you start working through the book, you're like, wait a minute. I don't know what's going on here. Okay, what do I have in my toolbox? Oh, yeah. The background information about Tekoa. Now it makes sense. And so if you find anything like that, I I would love to know where you think, oh, see, that background information about Tacoa? this makes perfect sense now. So that's
0: just to keep that in mind. The fact that Amos came from that. Now Tekoa... It's on the edge of that frightful wilderness which goes down to the very edge of the Dead Sea. It's on that ridge overlooking the Dead Sea. It's a desert wilderness where wild animals howl by night. And by day, you can see spots here and there where there was the remains of the camps of the Bedouins. As they moved through that area, they did not stay. There's the blackened ground, therefore the nomad and the vagabond of the desert. The Bedouins live there. It was the desert jungle. Adam Smith says this. The men of Tekoa looked out upon a desolate and haggard world, and this is the area in which Bishop Pike should not have gone, for this is where he died. And strange things happen in that area. There are those that even today say that it's the place of demons. Now, this was the hometown of Amos. He was a herdman. That is an unusual word that's used here. And it means that he was the herdman of a peculiar breed of desert sheep. They were a scrub stock, but they grew long wool because it gets cold there in the winter time, you know, and he also says that he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's stop
1: here because um, there there has been discussion, and I think many commentaries um, about that that it's kind of unusual how he's described here. So let's go back to Amos chapter one, verse one. Let me read it: uh, "The words of Amos, which was among the herdmen of Tekoa." Which he saw concerning, uh, you see, the words of Amos, which was among the herdmen. It says he's among the herdmen, uh, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Um, and and he said, uh, the Lord. Well, okay. So he it's just the King James says he was among the herdmen. He was among the herdmen, which is interesting. I'm going to look at that verse one second, because there is some discussion here. I'm going I'm to look here. Oh, give me one second. Um, just look this up in a number of translations. I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but he does say that it's an interesting phrase. How did the other translations handle it? The other translation says, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds. The message was given Amos a shepherd, uh, the English Standard Version, the words of Amos who was among uh, the shepherds. These are the words of Amos who was uh, among the shepherders. <laughs> the words of Amos who was among the herdmen. All right? So it just depends. Some of the translations, he's among them, and some of the translations says he is one of them. Just uh, interesting. But according to some sources, and it, I guess it really depends on which translation you go with, they say Amos... um, used an unusual word to describe his occupation instead of well okay um Amos chapter 7 verse 14 I think that's where it, it doesn't say he was among I think Amos chapter 7 verse 14 hang on I think this is where we see it then answered Amos and said to uh, uh, Amaziah I was no prophet neither was I a prophet but was and heard men and a gather of sycamore fruit so I so Amos 714 if I said Isaiah I apologize Amos 7.14, clearly he's referred to as a herdman herdman here. Now, there's a lot of discussion about that this is an unusual, this is kind of an unusual word to describe himself. Uh, I'm going to look it up now. I'm going to go to uh, Amos chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. I'm going to go to verse 14. You may not think this is important. I think it possibly is interesting. It's just when he noticed that it was an interesting phrase, I'm like, well, there, I've heard lots of discussion about this. But a herdman, um, it's this Hebrew word, herdsmen, I should say.
0: Strong's H, 951. Beaucaire,
1: Beaucaire, Beaucaire, And it's uh, a cattle tender, a herdman. All right. Um, that seems to be the word, beaucaire. Now, according to, now, what's interesting is some say it, it's actually used, uh, I said a cow, a sheep razor is how some say it should uh, be understood. But let me just read this. Amos used an unusual word to describe his occupation. Instead of calling himself a shepherd, he literally, uh, in ancient Hebrew, described himself as a sheep raiser. Amos probably chose this title to emphasize the fact that he really was a shepherd and that he did not mean shepherd in a symbolic spiritual sense. The way God used Amos reminds us the way he used the 12 disciples of Jesus. Common working men used to do great things for God. So uh, I think it's interesting, uh, and, and and Amos one he's among them, but chapter seven he really refers to himself, verse fourteen, no question about it, as a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and it seems almost like he's he that the term is used to make it very clear this shepherd is not in some like oh see he was a spiritual shepherd no he was an actual raiser of sheep or a raiser a, a cattle raiser however you want to use the term it wasn't symbolic. Now, I think sometimes in preaching we like to use the shepherd idea in a more symbolic way, but I do like the fact that if we look at it in a more literal way, a gatherer of sycamore, um, as as it says in seven fourteen, a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and an herdman. When you look at it, that this is just your, can we dare use the word layperson? You know, non, you know, not a professional minister but you're a lay person, but used by God to deliver the word of God. Maybe we need more lay people who are prepared to share God's word. Maybe. May I, don't, I don't know. There's, I'm not saying we should draw a major spiritual picture there, but everyone always seems to say it's unique the way he describes himself. Jay Vernon McGee didn't go into great detail, but even he said it was somewhat a unique way of describing himself. So... Is there significance there? You can draw your own conclusion. Then, now, a gather of sycamore fruit.
0: The literal is a pincher of sycamores. That is, this was a fruit like a small fig that grew on these scrub trees down there in the desert, and they grew at a lower level than the sycamore that we think of today. And Amos actually then had to travel to his job. He was a migrant worker, if you please. His sheep and his sycamores pushed Amos far out into that desert. He was truly a farmer. He was a country rube. He was a rustic. He was a yokel. He was a hayseed. He was a country preacher. He was a clumsy Bumquin and all thumbs among the ecumenical preachers up yonder in Bethel, where one of the golden calves was. He was that kind of a man. Now, before you laugh at him, may I say this? He was one of God's greatest men. He was a remarkable individual. Listen to what he said. Verse 15 of chapter 7. And the Lord took me, as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. And so God. I'm not a big fan
1: of when preachers are like this was a great man. You know, David was a great man. Abraham was a great. Amos was a great man. Moses was a great man. I, I'm not a fan of that. There aren't any. I think in God's kingdom, there aren't great men. There is a great God and an average men, sinful men, weak men bring the word of that great God, or we could say it weak men, fallible men, sinful men bring the word, the great word of the great God. I don't think there's any great men. You say, oh, but they're great. They they may be great, one, because you don't know what's going on in the inside. They may look great externally, but I guarantee you they're nowhere that great internally. And then some of the men in the Bible who we may perceive to be great, they weren't even great externally when you look at their actions. But what happens is Someone like Amos, you know, comes on the scene. There's not a lot maybe said about him, but because no major sin is recorded of, we're like, he was great. The apostle Paul, he was great because we don't have a specific major sin recorded of him. Even though he says the things I want to do, I don't do and the things I don't want to do, I do. Everyone's like, well, it couldn't have been that significant. I mean, it wouldn't have been scandalous. It wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been in trouble. No. How do you know? Okay. That's <laughs> the thing. So I don't think there's, there's not great men. There are no, I, 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 you may disagree with me, but my philosophy, my theology says there are no great men. There are weak, fallible, sinful men who bring the words, the great word of the great God. God's word is great. God is great. God's salvation is great. God's character is great God's attributes are great God's will is great I mean we can go on and on about the greatness of God But the, we are just weak, fallible people Who have a Bible And we proclaim that word And then we need to get away from there being great men And, and people will do that Especially with their favorite preacher Oh, you know, R.C. Sproul was a great man MacArthur is a great man No, they're all sinful, fallible men. Sometimes we think they're great until the curtain gets pulled back, and then we're like, oh, no, oh, no. And then usually once the curtain gets pulled back, we're like, well, I never thought they were that good anyway, and I never liked them anyway. Then all of a sudden we like, we want to defend ourselves. No, weak, fallible men, that's what we all are. There is none great. There is none good. We're all sinners. That's my perspective. You you may have no problem with calling the people in the Bible great, but I, I don't think they're ever put forth as great. A great God who does great things with a great message and a great word, and he has to use, well, weak, fallible people to deliver
0: that word. God sent him all the way from way down there in the country, in the desert, in the wilderness, all the way up to the northern kingdom to Bethel, one of the capital cities where you find the city folk living, where it was altogether different than where he came from. God called him to preach. God gave him a message, and God sent him to Bethel, and he came there. Now, it was really, at first, the capital of the northern kingdom, and it was the place where there was one of the golden cats. It was the center of culture and also cults. It was where the sophisticated and the suave folk moved. The jet set lived there. It was the place that was blasé and brazen. It defied God. It was also the intellectual center. They had a school of the prophets there. The seminaries taught liberalism there. They taught about the Graf-Welthausen hypothesis that denied the inspiration of the Pentateuch and the German theologian Bultmann. They went in for all the latest down there, you see. Now, what Bethel did was the thing to do. When they first introduced filter-tip cigarettes, why, Bethel was the first place that they were advertised and were used, Then it spread out everywhere. And it also was the place where they worshipped a golden calf, and they turned their backs upon Almighty God. And it was the place where you could go to see the style show, the styles that would be popular the next year. Are we going to wear the wide lapel next year? Uh, Will there be two or three buttons on the coat? Should you leave the last button unbuttoned to be in style? Well, you'd go to Bethel to find that out. Well, here comes the town this country preacher, this prophet of God, with a message, most unusual message. He's different from any other prophet. You're going to find out his prophecy is different, friends, and... Actually, the suit of Amos was not cut to the style of Bethel. And neither was his message cut to the style of Bethel. You didn't hear this man given the type of messages they gave there. In the king's chapel, there was always a mild-mannered preacher, very sophisticated, well-educated, but a rank unbeliever who stood in the pulpit and gave little comforting words to the people. He gave them pablum and saccharine sweetness in the message. But now here's a different man. And when Amos arrived, they stared at him at first. But they were very indulgent, of course, there. They were broad-minded, you know. So they smiled at him. I think he had on high-button yellow shoes. That, of course, is coming back today, and I don't know whether it was ever in style in Bethel or not, but at least it was not in style when Amos arrived, and his suit didn't fit him. He, unfortunately, had the bottom button, button, which he should not have done, and he had on his first necktie, and it looked like it had been tied by a whirlwind or something like that
1: again, this is one of those things preaching does where we take something and we take a couple of facts and we really start embellishing and trying to create an image and try to create an image. And, and it's always like, when do you go too far? When are you creating almost a fictitious picture in people's mind of what the preacher did and what he looked like and how it all went down when all we really have are, you know, Okay, Amos is from Tekoa. And I mean, like that's we don't we're not given all this information about how out of touch he was and out of style he was. No, his message would have been out of style. Clearly, he's going to a place where it's going to be conflict because he's going to Bethel. There's some things we can gather. It's just how far do you go until you have embellished? In fact, dare I say, you create something that's not in the text but you give it to people as if it is being derived from the text. And that is, then it becomes a substitute to the text. But all right, I understand preachers love to do this. You get, you get caught up in it. Once you start describing it, Moo, boom, boom, but you just keep going and going and going and going and going and going. Especially if you kind of get into a groove and next thing you know, you're like, man, I don't know. I think I said a lot there, so you, you, but some people like this. Some people don't have a problem with it. I, I'm very, uh, but yeah, all right, let's
0: continue. And everyone was embarrassed, but Amos. Amos was not embarrassed at all, and he created quite a stir. Here he has left the backwoods. He's arrived on the boulevard. He's left the desert. Now he enters the drawing room. He had been with these long-haired sheep out on the desert all of his night. Now he's with the well-groomed goats up yonder in Bethel. And he has left the place of agriculture, and he's come to the place of culture. Now, I think most everyone came to hear him at first. They said, we don't believe he can preach. They came out of curiosity. We don't think this man has any message. They came in amusement, but they left in anger.
1: I mean, there's a lot, there's just a lot he's going with here. I mean, it's, it's, you could say it's poetic, it's picturesque, it's, but I mean, come on now we got, don't we have to be careful? Don't, is there, where is the line? Where is the line? That, that's.
0: He was a sensational preacher. His sermons, you see, weren't cut to the style of Zephel. And today we just don't have any of those liberal sermons from that day. But you sure have Amos, and you have his prophecy, and we're going to be looking at it. Now, Amos preached the Word of God, and many people were moved, and some turned to God. But you know what happened organized religion there, the worship of Baal and the golden calf, they got together, they had the ecumenical movement going there. So that they had the same program, if you don't believe anything, then there's nothing to keep you apart. If I don't believe anything, you don't believe anything, we can get together. And that's the ecumenical movement, by the way. And it was going great guns, even in that day. Now, you have this man, we... If you don't believe
1: nothing, we can get together. Are you seeing the people in Bethel didn't believe anything? So that's why they were all unified around golden calf worship, or by having the golden calf worship. Wasn't was that a clear we believe something? Like, is is this even an accurate representation? They didn't believe anything. It sounds like they were very committed to a lot of pagan idolatry, right? So, did they not believe anything? So, because if they did, if they, if they didn't believe anything. I, I I don't know how you can say that. That that. Is that a fair, is that a accurate representation?
0: Find him in the midst of all of organized religion. And they try to silence him. They try to run him out of town. And some of the leading ecumenical leaders called a meeting. And they wanted to remove him. They wanted to withdraw support from him. They told him he'd lose his pension if he... Didn't change. Did, did they tell Amos he did? They, he would lose his pension. He's just
1: trying to. He's just trying to use certain things. He's using things that he's obviously familiar with in the preaching world and the religious world and 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 the Christianity of that day. And he's imposing it on Amos. And I, I don't. They're, they're, like, you're gonna lose your pension. What are you talking about? He's a herdman in Tacoa and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. What, what, like, what are you talking about? This, oh, preachers get so carried away in doing this kind of thing. And I think a lot of times the people listening love it because it's, oh, he's painting a picture and it's interesting and, uh, but it, what?
0: And there were some fundamental leaders called evangelicals in Bethel. They began to criticize him because he was getting the crowds. They tried to undermine his ministry. But God blessed him. Amos would not compromise. Amos continued to preach the Word of God. We're going to see his message in this book, but I want you to meet him today. And they had a mass meeting called of all the religions. And the inevitable happened. It was really the first meeting of the World Council of Churches. And the motto of this first meeting was, Away with Amos. Away with Amos. And now, Amaziah, he was appointed as a committee chairman to go see Amos. Now, Amaziah was a priest who went into idolatry. Does all of this sound modern to you folks? It's the same old story. We think it's modern. It's not. It's been happening ever since man got out of the Garden of Eden. Amaziah was the hired hand of religion. He was polished, was educated, he was proud, he was scholarly, he was pious. He was a classic example of a pseudo-saint, cleverly and subtly, He worked a master stroke. He got the king to support him because he believed that the church and state and religion and politics should be combined. And so the thing that happened was this, verse 10, back of chapter 7 now, "...then Amasiah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel." The land's not able to bear all of his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their land. Now, he had said some strange things, it is true. But what he said was true, and it should have been heeded by Jeroboam. Now, he had on his committee, you see there, he had the chief calf-caller in the worship of the cow that was set up to worship there. And as you can see on his committee, I think he had Dr. Sounding Brass. He was the president of the School of the Prophets, proud and pompous, and he was a politician par excellence. And also there was Reverend Tinkling cymbal He was the pastor of the wealthiest, and most influential church in town. He was the yes man to the rich. He couldn't preach, but he was a great little mixer. And it's amazing the things he could mix, by the way. He didn't pound the pulpit because he didn't want to wake his congregation up, but he could sure slap their backs during the week. Now, this committee waited on Amos. Now, Amosiah's has come to Amos and He's told him in verse twelve, 12, O thou seer, go, flee away into the land of Judah. In other words, get lost. Go home. We don't want you here. And there, eat bread and prophesy there. In other words, you're just out for the money that's in it. And therefore, we don't want you here. And now verse 13.
1: Does that verse say that he accused him for being in it for the money? He's imposing a lot of, obviously there's a lot of things going on in Christianity that he had encounter that obviously bothers him greatly. And he's taking those things that bother him and imposing it into this scene or adding it to the scene to kind of embellish, add to, paint in, fill in the, the painting, fill in the picture, but is it, is it an accurate representation of what's going on? Is it really, he's really trying to put it in the context of evangelical Christianity in whatever year J. Vernon McGee taught this 70s, 80s, whatever whatever it was, 60s, uh, whatever. So we'll have to, we'll have, we'll just, we'll just see where this goes.
0: I tell you, it's the crowning insult of all. He says, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the king's court. Now, that's the height of this man's insolence and his arrogance. And he uses here the satirical method and a satire that's not only biting but is poisonous. He says, remember, you have been speaking in the leading church here in Bethel, the king's chapel, And you have been in the king's sanctuary, and he's dissatisfied with you. And the king attends there, and your message disturbs him. And there's a lot of people that don't like you. You don't use a very diplomatic method. You don't flatter them. You don't pat them on the back. You don't tell them how wonderful they are. You do not cultivate the rich and the affluent and that crowd and you're not very reverent you tell funny stories every now and then you're not dignified you pound the pulpit and you It, it, it feels
1: like the more the longer this goes is is he telling these stories in regards to amos or is he saying things that he has experienced hey they were doing all this to amos because he has been in a place where people have done this to him. I, 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 I'm starting to feel that way. I could be wrong, but it's feeling really like, whoa, man, you're adding a lot here to these stories here.
0: You lack graceful gestures. You do not use a basso, profundo voice as if you were thundering out of heaven. What you need is a course in homiletics. And you don't seem to have read the latest book. By the way, have you read the latest book, Baal Goes to Yale? Have you read that book? And of course, poor Amos hadn't read that latest book. Now, I want you to listen to the answer of this great prophet of God, this man that preached the righteousness of God and the judgment of God. And there are those that like to call him a hellfire prophet. Will you listen to his answer? Also I don't like that like so th-
1: like you know Amos hadn't read any books on hermeneutics he like you know it's almost like hey the the educated people they're the problem in the church it's the uneducated people I don't like that where it's almost like if you if you call for hermeneutics and, and education that's a bad thing I I I understand there's got to be a balance. I understand there's a balance. I just, and again, I don't know, like none of that, none of that is actually in the text. None of the, if you count all the words he's used and how many things he said that really has nothing that's not actually in the text, that's embellishment. I, I don't know how close we, we were getting to the text.
0: Answer, and notice how gracious it really is. I'm reading now verse 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I am no prophet, neither am I a prophet's son, but I am a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, go prophesy unto my people Israel. And then he continues on. We'll pick up that message later on that he had to give. I'll just read verse 16. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. And then he has some pretty harsh words to say to this man, Amaziah. But now we're going to come back to that here because this is very important. Now, I ask you a very fair question. Does his answer sound like that of a fanatic? Frankly, I have one criticism of Amos. He's too naive. He's rather artless. He's rather simple. Now, down in the desert of Tekoa, He knew his way around. He could avoid dangers at home, in the jungle that was filled with wild beasts. But on the asphalt jungle of Bethel, he was rather helpless. And by the way, there is a jungle in this world today. The world is a real jungle, the world of flesh and the devil. And today you'll find in church circles sometime In the liberal circle, it's a little dangerous, and it's a little dangerous in the fundamental jungle at times. You're not really safe today. There will be someone there that will want to tear you to pieces. There'll be the roar of some big lion, Mr. Gutrocks, and he's on the board of deacons. And I tell you, You better pat him on the back. Better play up to him. And then there's the hiss of a serpent in the asphalt jungle today. That's Mrs. Joe Doakes. She's got a poisoned tongue. You remember James said something about poison is under their lips. Worse than a rattlesnake bite to have some of these criticize you today. It'd be better if you were bitten by a rattlesnake. And this man Amos He's very naive. He says, I know it. You say, I'm no preacher? I know it. I'm no preacher. You say that I'm not a prophet? Why, I'm no prophet? I'm not even a prophet's son. I'm a country boy. But God called me. But listen to him at verse 15. "...and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel." He says, you want my credentials? Here they are. (laughs) And may I say to you, if you give out the Word of God today, you're going to be challenged. It's quite interesting that the very day that I'm making this tape, a letter came in from Salt Lake City, Utah, and it has a very devious argument here, but he concludes... He says, I'm interested in knowing how you got your authority. Well, may I say to you, I can answer that very easily. When I was in my teens, God called me, and I knew he called me. Now, somebody says, then you had great faith, and as a poor boy, I had no faith at all. I never believed the Lord had ever let me get through school even be very frank with you, I had no faith at all. I just had a tremendous and overweening desire to want to do the thing. And that's the thing that prompted me to go on. But I'm now toward the end of the journey, and I have news for you. I know now I was called. And so I don't need to give you my authority, by the way. And I want to be just as naive as this man is. But he's a little too naive the way I look at it, but the Lord was leading him. Now, he wasn't giving the message of man. He was giving a message from the Word of God. He preached against sin. He was no mealy-mouthed preacher. He was not giving out saccharine sweetness and artificial light and ersatz bread. He wasn't spraying the perfume of synthetic human goodness over a a lot of foul-smelling garbage. This man knew that you could not take a gallon of Shalimar perfume and pour it on a pile of manure and make it any sweeter than it was. He made it very clear that God was not soft. He was not sentimental. He was not shallow. And he did not indulge in random speaking and entertaining. He did not deal in vague generalities. Someone put it like this concerning a preacher several years ago. He says the way he preached was, you must repent as it were, believe in a measure, or be lost to some extent. Now, there are three areas in which this man spoke, and we are going to note them as we go through this little book of Amos when we get to them. Now, to me, the most amazing thing about this man is this. He was practically an unknown when he arrived in Bethel. He's still rather unknown, but Amos in our day is a name that is associated with another name, Andy. That is, those of us of the older generation remember Amos and Andy. Well, actually, in Amos' day, back in Bible times, it was Amos and Hosea. They went together. They were contemporary prophets. I'm sure knew each other. And as we've already seen, Hosea emphasized the love of God but that a God of love intended to judge sin. Now, Amos, he speaks of the lofty justice and the inflexible righteousness of God that causes God to lead to judgment. I'm presented here at the beginning now. I go back to chapter 1 and start here that we might see the message of the man. I think now we know a little something about this man. He's a fearless man, an outstanding man, and he is giving out a message. But the thing that really startles me is that this man has a world view. He has a global conception. He speaks first here to the nations that were contiguous to and surrounded the nation Israel and he spoke to the great world powers of that day. Now, that wasn't something new. Later on, the other prophets did it also. You find that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and certainly Daniel. But the method of those men was first to speak of God's judgment of the nation Israel. Then they would take up the different nations. Now, Amos reverses that method he now that's an interesting observation,
1: okay now that he's kind of done with the embellishing now maybe he'll get right down to the actual text, and maybe we'll we'll get there and again you it just you we could have a long discussion about the embellishing and what you think about it. agree with it, disagree with it. I would love to get your thoughts on that, but now he gets to this and um it's interesting he's almost kind of said like I, I I try to listen for an outline verse one he's kind of like you know Amos the man, the man, verse one is the man, Amos the man, and I get is verse two the message but but I do find it very a good observation that and the other prophets do they start with Israel and then go to the other nations and here he reverses the order is there any significance in reversing the order? do do we is that a key in interpreting it is there is there a hermeneutical key that the order is reversed i i I don't know I'd love to get your thoughts
0: speaks of God's judgment of the nations round about now when he spoke at first there at the king's chapel, God was going to judge Syria, and God was going to judge these other nations that were round about, Philistia, Phoenicia, and Edom, and Ammon, and Moab, why everybody filled the king's chapel. He really was drawing a crowd, because they were very glad for him to preach on the sins of the Moabites, you see, but not on their sins. There are a great many people today, they like for the preacher to preach on the sins of the Moabites, which they committed 4,000 years ago, even longer. And that's all right, but don't step on our toes or you're in real trouble. Well, this man, this is one place he exercises, it seems to me, a great deal of diplomacy. And he was an eloquent man, although he was out yonder from the desert, and he was a country preacher He had the language of a Shakespeare. And some of his statements are eloquent statements. And he was, in my judgment,
1: just so it seems contradictory. Here's this country guy who's not well-educated, who's not diplomatic, and now, well, he was diplomatic, and it was very eloquent, okay? Does so is that, is that fit the picture? You, you were painting one picture, and you just seem to reverse the picture you were painting previously. <laughs> okay, all right, let's continue.
0: Great preacher. I disagree with Amaziah, who told him that he ought to get out of town. I disagree with Amaziah. Now, I'm reading verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. I'll not go into detail about the date. That earthquake is mentioned by Zechariah, nearly 200 years after this. It was, according to Josephus, took place during the reign of Uzziah. Be that as it may, that is really not the important thing, other than it does help us to see that he was a contemporary with Hosea, and he's one of the first of the prophets, and he is a prophet to the northern kingdom. Now, will you notice... And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither.
1: Okay now I'm very interested in what he does with verse 2 because in my last our little uh, broadcast that I did we talked a little bit about what do you do with verse 2 do you put verse 2 do you put one and two as introduction and 3 through 14 judgment upon the nations or do you put one introduction and and it, you know and then two the message and then three uh, but 3 through 14 wouldn't that be the message so is the message summarized in verse 2 Let's see what uh, J. Vernon McGee did with verse 2.
0: Now, this, of course, is very figurative language in many ways and very eloquent. The Lord will roar from Zion. Now, you will recall that Joel used that expression later on. It suggests the roar of a lion as it pounces upon its prey. And believe me, this... This is
1: interesting. He connects it to the roar of a lion. And I may have done the same thing. I'd I'd have to go back and listen. But someone asked me a question. And again, it's the people studying and asking questions that make these studies really worthwhile. Could this not be the roar of a lion, but the roar of a storm? Because it says, And the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and his habitation of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Um, If you look at this in a number of translations, I'm going to go to Amos 1, 2. I'm going to go to Amos 1, 2. Here we go. number of translations. and And the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. All right, so could the roaring be like a storm? Because now we have thunder. Uh, the New Living Translation, the Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. Um, and the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Okay, we don't have the same uh, picture there. Um and the Lord uh, will roar from Zion, utter His voice from Jerusalem. So the others don't have the idea of thunder. So maybe it, maybe we should connect it with a lion. I'm not. I don't know how important it would be. Um, I'm going to look up the word roar here. I'm going to go to Amos just to see um, it, it. Does it what does it normally point to? Go to Amos one, verse two. Or already over an hour. Man, we never, these these podcast episodes go so quick. All right, uh, well, Roar, it is this. Oh, yep, okay, it does fit a lion. It does fit a lion, I think. Here it is.
0: Strong's H, 7580, Shaag.
1: Shaag. Shaag. it's used 21 times, 19 times uh, Roar, one time mightily, uh, Sha-ag to Roar, and then Outline of Biblical Usage of, of Lion, conqueror, Jehovah, cry of distress. So it does seem to fit with a lion. In fact, the first time it's used is in Judges 14, 15 and behold, a young lion roared against him. So it may be more connected to a lion. So, but I'm I'm like the fact that people asked that question and I wanted to see what he was going to do with it, but I still want to know exactly how does, how does he, does he just, what does he do with verse two and far as
0: as far as an outline is concerned? Let's see as some way to begin. The Lord will roar from Zion like a lion. And it speaks of the coming judgment of God upon the nations that were round about. And the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. And that speaks apparently of a drought that was coming and of a famine that would come upon the land. It would be a famine that would extend throughout the entire land. I came over Carmel, where Haifa is, and I noticed how beautiful it is there, and the wonderful shrubbery they have today, and the lovely flowers that are there. must have been that way in the day of Amos, also in the day of Elijah. But now there is coming... This drought, that Carmel that was so beautiful, shall wither. That's
1: interesting. So it's figurative language, but he thinks it's describing something very specific and literal. And that what it's describing here uh, it, that it's going to describe a great drought and famine. Okay. That's interesting i i I would be interested to know how he came to said conclusion. Did he come from by reading a commentary? all right l- let's continue.
0: Now we have in verse three a section, and I think
1: all right, we'll stop right there because we we've made it to uh, verse three, so i'm going to put uh i'm going to put uh thirty at the thirty five minute mark. Amos McGee. All right. We will we'll pick this up tomorrow, and we will finish it up tomorrow. We don't have that far to go. I could probably do it right now, but we're already over an hour. Um, he's, he's got, he did a lot of interesting stuff, so we see the danger of possibly embellishing, and I guess I will leave you with this. So I think Roar may be lying at works, but I would just ask you this question. Amos 1-2, what would make you think he's referring to famine and drought? And when did that happen? Right, you you can let me know what you think and what you find find and you can just let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo dot com. We'll stop there. I know kind of an abrupt stop, but we're already in an hour and five minutes. We'll pick this up tomorrow. We'll 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 make it through this. And then if everything works correctly tomorrow night. Um, we'll be we'll do more of our observational reading in the book of Amos uh, because we're behind in doing that in the church. I started it in the church. I want to finish it in the church. So we will do that tomorrow. And I don't know. We're going to try to go as fast as we can and see if we can finish the observational reading. And then, then we'll then we can then expedite maybe kind of our chapter analysis and we'll see. We got lots of things planned trying to get us through the book of Amos. Hopefully you're enjoying the study. And again, if you're not utilizing the Bible study method, then you're kind of missing out. But hopefully you will do something with Amos during this time of study and benefit greatly from it. All right, there you go. We'll stop now. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening and we'll tomorrow we'll pick up Amos and we will finish this look at Amos chapter one.